0: Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by two friends. My childhood friend, Chris Dow. Keep yourself hydrated. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth.
1: Hey guys!
0: And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 73s. But before we do that, it is time to cast our rods and see if we can catch ourselves a bonnet nose quiz fish. Oh! (laughs) Did you write that one down? Yep. The score is currently 13-12 in favour of Chris. Okay. So let's see if Minty can draw a level. Super Mario 64. For the Nintendo 64 console, begins with Princess Peach, A, inviting Mario over for cake. Yes, yes A. a. <laughs> oh, Minty got in there first, oh. I'm afraid.
1: He has drawn it level. Dear Mario, please come to the castle. I've baked a cake for you.
0: Please don't say that Sincerely, again.
1: Sincerely, Princess Toadstool. Peach. So, what have we been playing
0: this week? Minty, what have you been playing this week?
1: So, I I was very happy to nearly beat Dead Cells on one boss cell. I died in the castle.
0: Uh, Did you have a good build? Were you feeling good? I was.
1: So, I I had a tactics build this time. Interesting. Because I usually have um, brutality builds. People will know that I like a bleeding build. (laughs) But for this time, I had assault bow, heavy turret, powerful grenade, and... I don't know, frantic sword maybe, and that carried me for quite a way until um, just the the horrendous pile of bullshit that is the castle.
0: (laughs) It can be, it can be. Yeah. You catch it on a bad day. Ooh, they are not. It's those,
1: it's those invisible fellas that throw the knives. Yeah. And they've got like they've got they've they've got Ned Stark's robe on.
0: Yeah, yeah, they do. They're just like (laughs) bing. Yeah. What do you do? Poison as well. Oh,
1: they are poison.
2: Chris, what have you been playing this week? I've been excitedly playing Virtue Racing Ah. as it's finally come out for the Switch in our own territory as opposed to having to switch regions and what, whatnot and it's really really good i don't think i've ever played virtual racing in the actual arcade because it's not at the arcade club up, up in manchester and i remember there being a machine i think like a heartstand swimming pool for a few years like when i was really young <sighs>
0: yeah that rings. Uh, and about... it was
2: one of the ones I, i'd always like sit in the little cockpit and and not play but <laughs> you know that was good enough as a kid yeah it felt like you were going a thousand miles an hour even if you weren't controlling the screen
0: but if you're on the surface of the earth then you were still rotating at a <laughs> thousand miles per hour so correct
2: but yeah, it's it's great. And for about a fiver or however much it is, I, w- I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone who likes arcade racing games.
0: As for myself, I have become what can only be described as obsessed with <laughs> Hollow Knight, which is a game I've been meaning to play for a long time. For a long time, I just assumed that it was a Shovel Knight spin-off. I see how you made that connection. Yeah, because there's, there's like, um, is there a Hollow Knight in Shovel Knight? There's Plague Knight. There's like Biff Night. there's like <laughs> Clancy Knight, I don't know.
1: Candlestick Knight.
0: Yeah, Butcher Knight. Baker Knight. Barry Knight. Mm. That is the guy from Knight Rider, isn't it? Barry Knight. Is
2: it Barry Michael Knight? <laughs> Michael.
0: <laughs> so for a long time I was like, and then when I saw it, I was like, oh no, it's not that at all. It was on the eShop sale for about five pounds. I couldn't, and I was like, oh, I'll download it uh, while it's cheap, and I'll get round to playing it because I love me a Metroidvania.
1: You do. You're famed for it.
0: I am, and uh, it is fantastic. It really throws you in with very little. You just enjoy being lost.
2: It's a pretty game, isn't it? Like I, I haven't, I haven't played it, but from footage I've seen, it's it's, oh, it's
0: gorgeous,
2: lovingly animated.
0: I've just had the most amazing time playing it. I mean, I, I I must be well over twenty hours into it, and I've no idea how close to the end I am. I've, I've no idea. I've heard it's big. It's huge, yeah. Like a big boy. <laughs> it's so unlinear. So it's not like Metroid in that respect, where I mean, there are areas where you can't go until you get an ability, but it feels like. Like, I had a little look at an online guide, because so I was just I was curious at, like, which order they thought you were meant to do the different areas of the game. And I'd gone to, like, well, apparently, one of the hardest areas first, and just be like, well, this is horrible. Um, oh. but, but persevere and got through it. So it's just, it's huge, and you can really play it how you want. And... I feel like I'll never uncover all of the secrets and all of the lore that's in there. But I am looking forward to finishing it so that I can uh, give Mario Maker 2 the attention it deserves when I get that. So we've had another question come in from the... Well, not the Twitter sphere, but the Facebook... Sphere. Why not? (laughs) Andy Smith has asked us, after our conversation the other day about what the best video game movie is, he's asked us what we think the best movie video game is. Thinking about this uh, over the last week or so, for me, there's very much two types of movie video game. There are the movie tie in games that will, you know, ritually come out with every release from like Harry Potter and Spider Man and stuff like that. Yeah. Or like kids' films and Despicable Me and Minion shit or whatever. Then there are the games that are first and foremost video games that are set in a world that has been established. In movies, like say Star Wars, for example, yeah. or Lord of the Rings, with, like Shadow of Mordor and stuff like that. I've already mentioned a couple of movie video games in my list already.
1: I've, I've mentioned Star Wars on the NES. You did, yeah, you did. I yeah. had
0: Jurassic Park on the Game Boy and Lego Harry Potter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I haven't had any, have I? Am I letting the side
2: down for the the movie tie-ins? Maybe. So, what's what's your favourite video game movie
0: game of the movie? Well. I spoke about it when when we spoke about Lego Harry Potter and in terms of those Lego games really kind of representing the feel of the films and actually being made with love for the source material. Lego Harry Potter was the Harry Potter game that I always wanted. I'm aware that there's a lot of very celebrated movie video games that I haven't played. For example, I haven't played... Knights of the Old Republic, the Star Wars game.
2: Yeah, that's on the original Xbox, wasn't it? The the RPG thing from Bioware. What other ones are
1: there? What other ones are there? When it comes to strong games made for a strong franchise, most of the time most video game movie titans, they are shit, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're usually
0: a... just a collection of mini-games designed around scenes from the film.
1: Well oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So
0: Like I had the Finding Nemo game on the GameCube, which oh, was wow. fun. Yeah. But yeah, it was just a series of mini games.
1: Hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah.
2: Did any of you play the uh, the Matrix games on the
1: around the? I played PS2 Enter the era? Matrix.
2: Yeah, because I, I sort of read up on those again today because I, I played both of them back then. But you had like like Minty says, Enter the Matrix was one that came out alongside the Matrix Reloaded, the second film, and it yeah, included yes. like actual film scenes that had been shot specifically for the game, including like you know the actual actors from
1: the film. And that was wild, because it was just like, we didn't see this in the movie. This is great.
2: It was like side stories that went alongside that film, almost like the, I don't know, the world-building stuff like from the Animatrix stuff they put out after the first film. It, it felt like it was kind of furthering it.
1: Interactive build-your-own-law. Yeah, essentially.
2: And, and then Path of Neo came out a few years later and was trying to kind of address the criticism, I guess, of uh, Enter the Matrix that you didn't play as Neo in that. So this game just said, okay, it's a whole game of just Neo fighting. (laughs) That was essentially it. But I think even that was quite unique in the way they approached it. Because I remember if you got to the the final battle, just before it, you you get taken to a cutscene which is showing like the Wachowskis talking as they're both sort of represented as little sort of pixel people. Uh, but they speak really honestly and, and say no hardware is powerful enough to render that sort of fight. Like the, the PS2 would wheeze and chug. We're not going to do it. So we've just made something else that we think is a cool way to end the game. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's a really weird one. Like, you can look up the cutscene on YouTube, but it's, it's a really uh, I might. interesting way to kind of, again, ex- expand you know, the cinema experience uh, in, a, in a way. They, they weren't necessarily the best games, but I think they were quite unique ways of, of approaching the source material.
0: i tell you something I remembered. Die Hard
2: Arcade. Oh, I mean, that's that's barely connected to the film, but it's a great game.
0: <laughs> it's Yeah, it's essentially 3D Streets of Rage. Yeah, I had the demo of it on the Saturn that I played over and over and over. Mm. I never had the full game, but I always wanted to get it. And that's a true story. I mean, obviously, there's GoldenEye on the N64. Well, no one likes that, do they? You know, I've said I, had, I didn't have an N64, so it's not a game that I've got any sort of connection to at all, apart from the fact that I know that people played it. And people really loved it. And it was obviously quite genre-defining at the time. I think a lot of people probably would say that that was the best movie video game. But I'm not at liberty, really, to discuss it because I have no no personal... uh, Experience of it. I think really.
2: Goldeneye is worth mentioning, though. Like, like you say, it was it was a big deal at the time. But I think it was a franchise that Rare actually wanted to do something with because the game didn't come out for what almost two years after the film. Yeah, like it, it was a really late release, so it was clear it wasn't like a tie-in that was you know to be day and date with with the cinema. It's something that they they kind of thought about and I think it went through several revisions until they got to what they eventually produced. So I, th- I think that probably counts for some of its quality as well, that it wasn't just like a rush job to get out in time with whatever came out that holiday season kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think GoldenEye was a rarity in that respect because it was, first of all, made by a development team that were actually talented, <laughs> who weren't concerned with putting out something to ride the hype of the film when it was in cinemas. And you could just tell that these were skilled people who really cared about the product they were putting out, right from the gameplay all the way up to the music. The whole thing was, it really felt like that you were, that you were James Bond in, uh, in the film The Golden Eye. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever play The Warriors? No. No, I remember that
0: coming out and thinking, that's absurd. Oh Yeah, um, but... like
2: almost 20 years after the original film, I think. And that's, yeah. that's better than the film, I would say. I, I think it's, yeah. it's all style over substance. I don't think it's a very good film. Whereas the game, you know, furthered the story of the film and was actually really fun to play. Again, going with kind of like a Streets of Rage 3D brawling style. Yeah, uh, and made by Rockstar, so again, a decent development team. Oh yeah.
1: When Andy asked this question, he of course uh, gave us a little bit of a clue as to what we should have been talking about, because he says uh, there is there is a right answer, and it was a genre defining game, and none of us really touched on it at all, because not only was it a genre defining game, it was a it was a medium defining game, because as we all know, Pong was uh, was based on Strangers on a Train. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. We do answer questions.
0: Andy, thank you for that question. If anybody else has any questions you'd like us to do this about, then please do get <laughs> in touch. So moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Menti. Can you please tell us about your 73rd favourite video game of all time?
1: I'd love poo. Do you remember? How back in the day we had 3D games on systems whose controllers had one or less analogue stick. (laughs) Oh Oh, boy, (laughs) what a treat. Wasn't it fantastic trying to control (laughs) the camera in those days? Oh
0: my, oh my yes, yeah.
1: No, you're right, it was bloody awful. Yeah. So I really like this game, but because it was on the Wii, the camera controls were terrible. And because it was a... was an intergalactic romp across a load of small planetoids. It was a real headache trying to figure out which way you were going and which way you were meant to go. And don't get me wrong, really good game. I liked it a lot because um, I did, and hence why it's in this list. But I didn't really feel like it was a step up from its predecessors except for its, uh, its geographic scope in terms of its nomenclature. Like you started off with man and a number, and then you had uh, man and a weather system. And now you've got Man, An Expanse in Space. It was objective-based platforming, which, for all its pomp and grandeur, wasn't as good as what came before it, in my opinion. It did make use of the Wii's extremely good and not at all gimmicky controls in a way that uh, was not, well, not gimmicky, which is to say you could play it without flailing around like a prick for hours at a time. It looked nice. It had varied worlds. Strong Nintendo gameplay away to you in Super Mario Galaxy.
0: I never played it. Oh Jonathan. I didn't have a Wii! I
2: know, but you should have bought one for these games. This game, I'll say now, is not in my list and it went in and out of the list thirty times. Oh wow, yeah. It was like really high and then it dropped and then it was out and then it was back in and it was out and it was you know, it's been all over the place. A veritable whore of a game. Mm. I don't know what it is that made made me kind of so reticent to actually keep it in there somewhere.
1: It was a big game, and there was so much to play through and so much to unlock. Like, Mario 64 definitely had 120 stars to get, and then mm. maybe Mario Sunshine had that many as well? Yes. So Mario Galaxy had 150, Ooh. and then once you got all 150, <laughs> you would unlock Luigi with his, uh, with his slippery shoes and his big legs so that he could jump <laughs> higher, and then that would be another 150 stars to get. So that was basically like a a whole new game with different physics and just a little bit harder gameplay. So there was a lot to play through and a lot to unlock. But I think ever since Mario 64, I was always disappointed that most 3D Mario games going forward were a little more, I guess, on rails in terms of objectives. Like instead of saying, right, you've jumped into this painting. There's six MacGuffins to get in this world. The title of this MacGuffin is a clue. But if you get another one, that's fine too these games were a lot more sort of direct and focused in their purpose for each level that you jumped into so i guess thinking about it it was actually a perfect development of mario gaming and mario 64 was the outlier because it was a little more sandboxy than perhaps all yeah. the others
2: i think you're right and that's why odyssey felt so different when that came out because that was a real return to like the open Stages essentially of of 64. Yeah. Whereas, like you mentioned, everything after that, like Galaxy, the 3D world games and the 3D land games, they were more course based again. And I I really loved all of them. But I I think the open expanse is what I I really, really enjoy.
0: I mean, it's one of those games, there's, there's quite a few games from the Wii era that I would definitely play if they were ported over to the Switch. And. Yeah, Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 uh, are certainly two of those games. I know that Mario Galaxy 2 is, is meant to be a, a, a superior game. Yeah. Perhaps we'll hear about that at a later date from either or both of you. Or perhaps, in a shock twist,
1: me. <laughs> I did try and play it, but I couldn't get on with it.
0: The
2: real highlight of 2 was uh, the soundtrack was much bigger and it was all fully orchestrated. Whereas the first one was kind of a, mi- a mix of some live instruments and some kind of like programmed MIDI style stuff. Good games that are not in my list I'll tell you now there's no there's no galaxy in my list
0: ah interesting that is interesting because I yeah I thought you held Mario Galaxy 2 certainly in quite high regard it's it's very good. Do you think that Mario Galaxy 2 is the better game to 1? Was that going in and out of your list, like a rudimentary prostitute? (laughs) 2, I think 2
1: is the better game. (laughs) rudimentary (laughs) prostitute.
0: Yeah, I I think
2: 2 is definitely the better game, but I was thinking more of 1 because it kind of encapsulated a lot of what the series was, even though it was kind of the the earlier game. So yeah, they, they were kind of being grouped almost as like a package in my head when I was shifting it up and down.
1: I liked that you could be a bee i liked you could be a ghost you could become a rock
0: see that was one of the things those little things were things that actually put me off it i was like okay well obviously they've got to come up with a new type of mario for you to be so quite literally to be (laughs) or to rock or to penguin or any of these things it's every single game it's like oh you can do this you can be a cat and now you can be a this and that strikes me as lazy game design.
1: My favourite story in that regard is how when they were making Super Mario 3D World and Shigeru Miyamoto had that interview and he said, we wanted climbing to be a big mechanic in this game, but before we brought the cat suit in, we modelled Mario just climbing up a wall and none of us liked it <laughs> because it made us feel weird. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you very much for that, Minty. Chris, over to you. What is your 73rd favourite video game?
2: Right. Obviously, knowing me, Jonathan especially, you know that I really like rhythm games. Oh, you love a rhythm game. I do. And I especially love rhythm games that require the use of massive, bespoke, impractical, largely unstorable peripherals. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... Going back back in time, outside of the arcade where you had like d- the big Dance Dance Revolution boom that then it kind of bled into homes with those soft plastic mats people have for the PlayStation, there was nothing that was kind of that sort of rhythm game with a big peripheral until maybe Guitar Hero in 2005 and that as a game I think was genre redefining because obviously these things had existed but it was then suddenly hugely mainstream and it seems like everyone that had a console had a version of Guitar Hero for years and it became like a real staple of just everyone seemed to have it in their collection so fast forward a few years from that Guitar Hero has now become like a huge annualized franchise or more than annualized at that point. I think by the end of 2009 there had been like 11 or 12 Guitar Hero titles like more than two a year.
0: Bloody hell. Wow,
2: Absolutely obscene. Like if, if you look through the release list there was the numbered ones kind of like the the core titles but there were spin-offs there was the band specific stuff there was there was all sorts just a lot of games. But in that year in 2009 it also saw the release of a title tangential to the, the Guitar Hero canon, which is my 73rd favourite video game, which is DJ Hero.
1: Oh, wow. Wow, DJ. Wow.
2: <laughs> I think DJ Hero, as, as a game to come out at that time all the odds were against it in, in terms of the market was reaching a total saturation point for those types of games and it didn't have the immediate sort of pick up and play that Guitar Hero did where people understood what a guitar was and how you played a guitar even if you don't have like musical knowledge you understand the strings you strum it makes a noise but DJ Hero was, was trying to do for like mixology as a stupid word and kind of electronic or hip hop rooted genres what Guitar Hero had, had done for classic rock and metal Yeah, and for those that actually played it and gave it time I think DJ Hero absolutely kills it it's, it's such a good game it did sell well enough to get a sequel but by that time the market had really really bottomed out and you know despite being a really solid game as well it, it just died at retail it didn't, didn't go anywhere which is a shame because again it was, it was a, a real ripper of a game really really good the controller itself, obviously, for, if you've played it, you understand this stuff. But if you've never played it, it's, it's nowhere near as easy to grasp as the kind of five-button plastic guitars that everyone got used to by that point. So you had a sort of moving turntable platter, as if to kind of simulate where the the record would sit. You have three colored action buttons, similar to the five, but obviously less. You had a channel fader, which you switched either left and right or or central to kind of mix between tracks or or songs. Uh, It had a little volume style knob that you could adjust as well. And then the note charts in the game would essentially ask you to manipulate all of this at the same time, whilst also keeping track of the direction you were either like dragging the platter back or, or shunting forward to kind of mimic scratching. As a game, I, I remember playing it with a friend when it first came out before I bought my own copy. The first few plays are just an absolute headfuck. Even playing on like the easiest difficulty, it, it doesn't make any sense to begin with. You have to really want to commit to it. But as, as I did with Codal Hero, I just started playing on harder and harder difficulties, just bump it up as quick as I could, continually failing stuff, but you, you just learn the mechanics so much quicker then. And it is a game that over the course of a few weeks or months or whatever, I got the max rating on every track in it. It's, it's one that I really, really loved. And the way it works in particular, there's almost nothing as satisfying as doing really well through a tough section, sort of like nailing a section perfectly, then spinning the whole platter backwards because it, it rotated a full 360 degrees, which would then allow you to kind of repeat that section and double your score.
0: Oh, that's cool. Ooh. The whole thing
2: just, it feels mechanically brilliant. It, it really is satisfying to play. Everything about it feels very kind of like visceral, like you are connected to it in a way that sometimes a guitar hero doesn't even do. And I think just as Guitar Hero always gave me an appreciation of music that I didn't necessarily love, like a lot of classic rock I'm not really into, but playing it in that style, it kind of isolates individual tracks and individual instruments and makes you sort of take note with the actual composition of what an instrument's doing. And I think DJ Hero does a, a pretty good job at highlighting subtleties within genres that are not always known for being subtle. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of electronic music is kind of very full on, And to actually understand or or be given a a kind of a look into what track is playing at that time as samples are being kind of like paced and triggered, how songs are kind of blended and mixed and all that sort of stuff. And it it did a lot genuinely to make me appreciate that someone who is making music in this style, it's about kind of reinterpreting and and recontextualizing music. And it's just a really fascinating way to kind of break down songs that I've never really seen before. DJ Hero, it's got something like 90 odd songs in it, a huge track list. And while I don't think I love every track that was included, they were all really fun. Like going through and, and kind of mastering everything was a, a challenge that was really, really enjoyable. I don't think anybody played this game, really. <laughs> like, no, I don't think anyone played it seriously, certainly like I was playing it at the time. But if anyone still has access to either a PS3 or a 360 or a Wii, you can get the game in the turntable for about a fiver. And it, it really is worth picking it up, going nuts, seeing what you think. It's, it's really, really fantastic. And it's a game that I think is, is devastatingly sad that it, it didn't have the same kind of long-running lineage that the Guitar Hero would have. It, it was just a, an unfortunate kind of victim of Activision getting very, very greedy, that generation. So yeah, 73rd favourite video game
0: is uh, Disc Jockey Hero. Amazing. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that. It's a game that I'd totally forgotten about.
2: <laughs> I think most people did when they played
0: it. <laughs> so lastly, we have my game. So this game... Goes all the way back to childhood again. It is a Game Boy game. It is a game that has actually been referenced by Chris. Not one of your entries, but one that you mentioned as a game that you bought, thinking that it would be in colour on the Game Boy Color, but in fact it was not. This is Wario Land 2. (gasps) What a game. So I remember getting this game. Because I think I'd saved up enough pocket money. I'd saved up about £15 pounds in pocket money, which had taken me ages because, you know, I was, on, I was on, you know, tuppence. Tuppence a week. Tuppence. <laughs>
1: tuppence. <laughs>
0: and maybe a shilling <laughs> if I fulfilled my
1: chores. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought, oh, you know, £15 pounds might be enough for me to get a game. And I popped into Dixon's. Mm. Dixon's. Ah,
1: do you remember that?
0: Yeah, where are they now? Yeah, where are they now? Liquidated. Dead. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> And Ireland 2 was in there for £15. And I thought, oh, fantastic. I was hoping to get my Game Boy Color that Christmas. I and mean, I know it's a game that is on the Game Boy Color. So I can play it on my Game Boy now. And then I can play it in color on my Game Boy Color. Turns out no, I couldn't because no. I bought it. <laughs> so I only ever played it in, uh, in black and white. But it is a fantastic game. And thinking back on it, I only sort of realized actually just how much of a curveball it was. Because it wasn't so much a platform game as a puzzle game. Yeah, Because you couldn't die in the game, which is a mechanic that I absolutely loved. Instead, your state could change depending on various different things that you interacted with. And you needed to maintain that state to operate a certain puzzle or something. For example, in order to get across a ledge in a spooky castle, you had to first get crushed by a rock and you would be flattened. You'd be like a paper-thin Wario flattened on the floor, waddling around, you could only jump half the height you usually could, and then you had to get in that state to the top of a a ledge, so that then you could float like a leaf on the wind (laughs) across the cavern. But in between those two points, there were bats that could come down and grab you and pull you back up and stretch you out. So you had to avoid them whilst uh, maintaining that flattened state. And... There was tons of things like that. There was like being frozen, there was being on fire, there was being uh, inflated. It was an entirely different way of thinking about platforming. I never played the first Wario Land game or Super Mario Land 3 as it was. So I didn't really have an idea of actually how different this was. And like I said, how much of a curveball this was. All I know is that I just absolutely loved it. And I must have played through the game a dozen times, 100%ing it. I remember that one of the really nice things that sort of worked well into that puzzling element was there was a lot of secret areas you could find by barging through walls that would break and then you'd find a whole load of coins or a secret tile for the picture that you were Mm. trying to unlock. And I used to just challenge myself to what I would determine 100%ing a level by making sure I smashed every single breakable block, collecting every single coin, And I did that for every level in the game. (laughs) And particularly there was this one level, which was, I think it was the penultimate level, where basically you were just dropped into a, essentially just a black void. And you had to barge your way through loads of breakable blocks to find the path. And it was, you'd slowly reveal a maze as you barged your way through. And I used to just go through that and just find all the different channels, barge all the paths, break all the blocks, get all the coins, and then get out again. And... I'd, just do, I'd do that, I'd 100% the game, and then I'd restart and do it again. And it was mm. fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic.
1: I think it was a real example of, of a developer challenging the norm of a particular genre and it really paying off. Yeah. like you said, the, the main objective of Wario Land 2 was collecting coins.
0: Yes. Stealing your treasure back from Captain from Syrup. From
1: Captain Syrup, of course, yes. so She was sweet bad <laughs> <laughs> by taking away the uh, probably the the defining factor of platforming games which is dying yeah that meant that there was a lot of scope for really being very creative with how they designed levels and um what success meant and it was it paid off mm. like i just I, I wish people would do that nowadays because yeah. it was honestly i think it was the best game boy game
0: Really? Yeah. That is, that is high good. praise indeed. Mm. I wouldn't hesitate to compare it to something like Braid, to be honest, in terms of its puzzling platforming mechanics.
1: Mm.
2: It does a huge amount with, with that kind of genre. Mm. And, and like you say, like, like Braid was about kind of subverting you know, what we understood as a platform game. And I think it's, it's interesting to think back on this now because we talked about WarioWare a, a few weeks back yeah. as being essentially like subverting just games generally, like using kind of the language of games to do something different every stage. Wario Land 2 and then 3 and 4 all kind of did exactly that as well, but, you know, in a, in a more direct way with their genre, that they took what, what you understood as a platform game, like Minty was saying, and then said, okay, well, we're going to change the rules, take out kind of the fundamentals of what you understand as being a platform game and do something really, really different with it. And Wario has kind of been that character, I think, throughout Nintendo's history now to take what we understand and do something a little bit different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before with WarioWare about how I thought, well, what's the point in slapping Wario on that product? It's because actually that's what that character represents. Mm. And it's why I was interested in then Wario as a character and, and would follow, you know, the, the games that, that came out following that. Although I didn't play Wario Land 3. I did play Wario Land 4, and I'm not going to say much about it now. <laughs> um, I think that Wario Land 2 was probably the game that I played the most on my Game Boy, I think, and that's including Pokemon and Zelda and Harvest Moon. <laughs> but like I said, there was something just really fun about Wario Land 2, and it had incredible replayability. There were secret exits to find different levels, and... Once you completed the game, you could you would reveal the almost like a timeline of all the levels, and you could see the different paths. You could go off.
1: There was like nine branching paths, wasn't there? Yeah, it was... and
0: so they, they felt like there was always either a reason to go back and try and find another level, or if you'd done that and you'd found all the levels, then it'd probably been a while since you'd done one of the branches, so you'd want to go and do that again.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That wraps it up for another week. Another three games. First of all, we had extremely
1: good interstellar Italian
0: and then we had Disc Jockey Hero and finally Wario Land 2 if you've enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed any of the episodes please do leave us a review please like us subscribe to us share it on social media tell your friends if you would like to reach out to us you can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents If you'd like to reach out to us individually, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges.
1: You can find me at Minty Booth, in the same way that you might find a dog turd on the street.
0: Approach with caution, (laughs) unless you have a bag on your hand. (laughs) (laughs) And please do join us again next week for our 72s. Hurry up!